Well, welcome everyone. It's great to have you guys back here for week four. I see some folks here for the first time and we want to welcome you. Uh, if you're here for the first time watching live stream, I have absolutely no idea, but welcome. We're glad that you are here. Um, it's been a good three weeks. I'm excited about tonight. Last week, why did Jesus die? If you have not had an opportunity to watch that at our YouTube page, Lakeview Christian Center, um, or if you just get a lot of time to drive around, we've got CDs available from each of the past weeks, so please avail yourself of them. Maybe you've got a friend that you'd like to have listen to one of the past uh, three talks or all three of the past three talks. And then tonight, uh, before you leave, uh, CDs of tonight's session will be there as well. So, uh, so we're, after tonight, we're done with four weeks of Alpha. There's only six more to go. And uh, if you've got perfect, anybody got perfect attendance so far? Been here all four weeks? Oh my. Well, you do not want to blow that because there is a commencement ceremony afterwards. Yeah, if, if you are online and you can prove it. Um, uh, then you've got perfect attendance. Okay, good. Okay. So anyway, so tonight's topic is how can I have faith? Now, what we've talked about, I, I have a little bit of an argument with uh, Alpha when it comes to this title, because what we've talked about for the last three weeks is that everybody has faith. The question is, what is our faith in? Is our faith in something that's reliable, true, or are we just sincere? And it's great to be sincere, but we may be sincerely Wrong. So I, I would, I'd rather title tonight, Can I Be Certain About What I Believe? Whatever it is, can I be certain about what I believe? And since this is an introduction to the Christian faith, if what Jesus Christ taught and what the scripture teaches us through his teaching, uh, if that is true, then he has made it very clear to us that there is something we can, we can hold on to. And so... Tonight, I, look, I, I also understand this, that every one of us in this room, some of us have lived fewer lives in the front than others of us in the back. Um, <laughs> I got in trouble with that one. Um, but some of us, you know, we, we just believe certain things our entire lives. And, and here's the challenge. If you believe something your whole life, it kind of gets hardened inside of there. And uh, that was me. I mean, I believed certain things for, the, for years of my life. And when I, was, when I was confronted with the scripture, I was confronted with the fact that either I'm right or the scripture's right. And, or, or maybe both of us are wrong. And so I, I really, I just want to, if I may, just encourage you to kind of ask God through this whole time that, that maybe you're sitting in your living room or, or sitting here. Say, you know, God, if you're there, and I kind of, I do believe you are, but I really don't understand how all this works together. I, I want to know the truth. I mean, I can't imagine a better, more sincere, childlike prayer than that. So I just want to encourage you as you're listening to these things and either embracing them or not so sure about them, just have some conversation with God through the week from Tuesday to Tuesday and just see if he may not, if he's real, speak to you in ways in which you never could have imagined. Okay, that was not in my notes at all. So, uh, but you know, through the years, uh, most of us have believed or been exposed to some interesting concepts of how we hope to have peace with God and get to go to heaven when our heart stops. And, 
and they were probably based off this model of, uh, of religion that we talked about before, that this is the world religions here, that there's Islam, Hinduism, Mormonism, Buddhism, there's, there's hundreds of different religions, but every one of them has basically the same premise. That, we're, that man is here and God is here and it is up to us. It's up to, if you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. It's up to our validating performance record to determine whether or not we are accepted by God. If we keep the rules, if we keep the rules, God's going to have to, to let us in and not throw us out. The question is, what rules? And the question is, well, I don't know what's even a question. We don't even keep our own rules. You ever notice that? Uh, and then don't we love to put rules on other people that we don't keep ourselves? So we love rules. Well, we love rules as long as they're not for us. And that's basically how we live. And so I want to show you that, that, that you know, even corporations go to an extent to make sure you keep the rules. And so I just so happened many years ago, Annette and I happened to be in Arlington, Virginia, at the Weston Arlington Gateway Hotel, and these are, I took a picture with my cell phone, the actual pool rules from the Weston Arlington Gateway Hotel. First rule, you may want to take, write these down in case you're near a pool. Um, if you've had diarrhea in the past two weeks, please do not use the pool. My question is, do not use the pool for what? I mean, <laughs> What are they expected to use the pool for? Um, again, check this out. 801 North Glebe Road, Arlington, Virginia. If you're, if, um, shower your child and yourself before entering the pool or using the toilet. <laughs> who, doesn't, who doesn't do that? I mean, I just, this is, that's kind of obvious, but it's a rule. It's a rule. So, third rule, bathers who are not toilet trained or incontinent adults must wear a swim diaper. The word incontinent is an interesting word to me. I mean, what does where you're from or what continent you're on have to do with anything? I'm not sure. But you have to wear a swim diaper. Now, so there are your three rules. But just so you know, they have absolutely no belief that you're going to keep these rules. This, to protect themselves, is the fourth rule. Do not drink the pool water. <laughs> so these are... Uh, these are rules. They don't expect, they give them to you. We get them, but they don't expect you to even keep them. So last week we looked at some scriptures that present some challenging, uh, some challenges to our validating performance record worldview that we're good enough to get God to accept us. But then scripture tells us just the opposite, that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short. There's nobody that is acceptable to God based on their own record of performance. And so what do you and I do with that? What does man typically do with that? Well, we build a God and we build rules around it and we hope or we keep our fingers crossed or we pray that we die on a good day when we're keeping the rules. But it is universal. As I said, we develop or design a God that we define so that we can define how good we need to be based on our own meology. Now, if you were here last week, you heard me use that terminology a lot. And if you weren't here last week, then your table host will be happy to make that clear to you. But meology is basically my belief about God is based on me. I make God in my own, my own image. So 
All of that has to do with a sense of earning God's acceptance. Earning the acceptance of a supreme being. And from this comparative religion model comes a few different examples that maybe you can, um, maybe you can identify with. I, I could sure identify with them. So, and let me just ask you, tonight, can I be certain of what I believe? I want to just look at these, and you're, every one of you in this room is going to go, yeah, uh, I believe something like that or that specifically. But let me ask you, when you see these, how secure would you feel if your eternity, right on the other side of your last heartbeat, you've lived the dash, you're now in the line, how secure will you be if this is how it will be determined where you will spend eternity? So maybe here, maybe God grades on a curve, okay? He's not going to flunk the whole class, and so he grades on a curve. <clears throat> now, if that were the case, it would just make sense to hang out with the heathens. Wouldn't it? You just hang out with really bad people. Because if you hang out with really bad people, then, and, and you're just better than bad people, then you know, your chances are going to be better than if you're hanging out with you know, church people, those, those church people. And so, so, you know, so maybe you didn't fail, but I mean, this would be about where I would have judged myself, right? Just, just pass. But the question is, who makes that determination? Are you going to fail yourself? I don't think so. I'm certainly not going to fail myself. So the question is, maybe God grades on a curve because he's not going to flunk the whole class, for heaven's sake. He's got to send, he's got to send everybody where they don't want to be. Or maybe in heaven, there's scales. <clears throat> you get to heaven, and what you have are scales. And there's good works, and there are... My wife is now coming to give me water. Thank you, sweetheart. That's... Thank you so much. So in there, there on, on one side of the scales, there are our bad works. Okay, those little negative signs are the things we've done bad, the things we know are bad. And then the other side are our good works. Now, if you got to heaven and you saw this, and that was representative of your life, how, how secure are you feeling right now? Not very secure. How, how about now? You're feeling better now when you see this. Okay, a little better. How about now? I'm just going to pile on. But the question is, who determines what of our works are good and what of our works are negative? What if you constantly just helped your grandmother across the street and took her to the grocery store and everything else? Not because you loved her, but you knew she couldn't have many days left in her and you wanted to make sure you got in the will. So would that would just disqualify that from being a good work? So, so motivation has a lot to do with it. In terms of this, so so maybe God, there maybe they're just scales in heaven. Now again, whether it's curves or scales, how secure would you really feel about that? We don't like uncertainty in any aspect of life. We talked about that in in week number one, but when it comes to something that we believe is going to last forever, why would we bank that on a hunch or some religious thinking? He grades on a curve. There's scales in heaven. Hopefully, I'm just, as long as I'm better than you, that's really all that matters. Right? And I've got to be better than all you people in here, for sure. So, but based on whose determination? That's the question. We want to base these things, what we consider great life. We want to consider, what we want to determine is where we'll spend forever based on our definition of it. And I'll just tell you, there's no certainty with that. 
There's nothing but speculation and apprehension. And the closer you get to the end of the dash, and nobody knows how close we are getting, the more apprehensive you can become, for sure. So, so let me just ask you this question tonight. This is an interesting question. Um, so for those of you who are, who are not here watching uh, live stream or watching this video, uh, it's, this is good for you. But tonight, um, I just have to tell you, I'm sorry, but uh, the food tonight, some of the food tonight was poisoned, right? I, I'm sorry, but um, you did sign a waiver when you came in. And, uh, but here's the, 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 the thing about it. If your food was poisoned, the way you know it was poisoned is that you're getting sleepy right now. Okay, it's not me. It's just you're just beginning to feel kind of sleepy. But let's say, okay, your food was not poisoned. But just let's say your, your food was, and all of a sudden your head just hits that plastic you know, melamine table or whatever that is, that plastic table, and you're gone, right? Now, we don't want to interrupt my speaking, so we're just going to leave you there for a few minutes. Um, but let's say all of a sudden you're gone, and I, just go there with me for a minute. You're gone, you're dead, and you stand in the presence of Jesus. And he says, I told you not to trust those people that go there. No, and he says, um, he says, well, I know you didn't expect to be here so quickly. And then he asks you a question. Now, I want you to poise yourself for this question. He asks you this question. I want you to think about this with me. Think about this question, how you would answer it. First thing that comes to your mind. Why should I let you into my heaven now think about that. Jesus is real. Jesus is in heaven. You have just died. You are there. And he is asking you a question. Why should I let you into my heaven? You thinking about that? So here's, here's the question with that. If the first thing that comes to your mind is you begin to do, and this is what I would have done, you begin to do an inventory of the good things you have done. And you're trying to make a case for yourself. You are, as I was, a meologist. You are basing, like I did, my standing before God on my validating performance record. The Bible teaches something completely opposite of that and the question so when we look back at this um, at this I want to back up just a second when we look at this performance record we have to determine one of two things it's either how I believe about God or how God believes about God it's either works or it's grace here's what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Rome he says but if it Salvation, a relationship with God, forgiveness, being brought near to God is by grace. Now, what is grace? Let's just define terms here. Grace is unmerited favor. It's receiving something I don't deserve. Okay? If salvation is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. It's no longer on the basis of your or my validating performance record. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You get that, don't you? 
It can't be both grace and works. It's going to be one or the other. And so when we go back to our comparative religion model, we see this. All of the religions of the world define God as being here and here and then define our ability to be accepted by God based on how good you have been. How good I have been. Only biblical Christianity says, no, no, no. God's perspective is none of you can do it. None of you have it in you. We're going to get into that in just a little minute, in a minute. But because I love you, I came to do for you what you cannot do for yourself so that you could be accepted by God based on Christ's validated performance record, validating performance record, and not your own. So if, I'm, if, if tonight we're talking about what the Bible telling us, and we're going to see in a few minutes, is that my, I can be secure. Can I be certain of what I believe? You and I know just by common sense thinking that there's no security in this. There's hope so. Pray so. Try to be good enough so. Christianity teach, biblical Christianity t- teaches the exact opposite. That because we can't, he did. If we could have, he wouldn't have had to. Now think about that. You may have not thought about that ever really strongly in your whole life. That abundant life in the dash, in the years that we have on this planet, and on the other side of our last heartbeat is predicated upon not your faithfulness, but God's faithfulness and And whether or not I believe that, it's interesting. So the question is, what do I believe? That it's God's validating performance record or that it's my validating performance record that commends me to him? If it's my own validating performance record, I have to be my own savior. So think about that. If your works get you to heaven, you are your own savior. I bet you never thought about that before. I never thought about that before. But it's up to, if it's up to you, you're the savior of your own world. You're the one that determines whether you, where you spend eternity on the line. You're the one that determines life in the dash. Again, with all due respect and much love and appreciation for you being here, that is a completely different perspective than the Bible gives us. Now, Maybe the Bible's wrong. Maybe we're all wrong. But that's clearly what the Bible teaches. All right. So that was my 20-minute introduction. So how can we have faith? Page 24, how can we have faith? If you want to go into your notebook, you can. I won't be spending a whole lot of time in there, a little work manual. But, but, but here's what I really want us to focus on. Don't, don't worry about the book so much as, as this. The Bible teaches... So here's what the Bible teaches. Believe it or not, this is what it teaches. That God wants us to know for sure what our standing is before him. And whether heaven is going to be our home the moment after our heart stops or it's not. And and if I had a desire tonight, if I could snap my fingers, if I could get a prayer answer tonight, it would be that every one of us in this room, every one of you watching Tonight, or whenever you're watching, every one of us would leave here tonight with no doubt, one way or another, whether or not we are trusting in what the scripture says, 
or a validating performance record, which has a lot of formal belief to it. But regardless of what the formal belief is, it's still dependent upon you and me to adhere to the rules. And you and I know this. We don't adhere to our own rules, much less religion's rules. We just don't. And so if I could have my desire, it would be that every one of us leaves here tonight saying, don't believe it. Absolutely certain, I don't believe it. And hey, and I respect that. And I'm grateful for you being here. Or maybe you leave here tonight saying, I absolutely believe that. And I respect that. And I'm grateful that you're here. But I would hope and I would pray that not one of us would leave here standing. For us New Orleanians, we know what this means on the neutral ground. Not one of us would be here thinking, well, I hope so. Not sure. I don't think it's clear. If we just look at what the scripture says in just a few minutes, again, I'm not asking you to believe a word I'm telling you. Look and see what the scripture says to support that. So, um, so I want you to, um, I want you to take, I do want you to take your notebook and I want you to write this down with me because I think this is interesting because, um, because I think that this is just an interesting quote. If you want to write this down, it would be good. Christianity is about first becoming someone before it's about doing something. Its basis is being before performing. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Because I, I, I want to make sure you get this. Because this is not what I thought. I thought you just be a good boy. You say your prayers. You go to church. You give your quarters in the offering. You, you, you just do good stuff and you'll just be fine. That is not what biblical Christianity teaches. That is not the definition that God gives whereby there is absolute certainty of your stand, standing before him. Christianity, biblical Christianity is about first, now hear me now, becoming someone that you aren't before it's about doing something. Its basis is being before performing. Okay. You may go, what does that mean? I hope you're asking that question. What does that mean? Because I, I, I'm, I believe I can help in that understanding from the scripture. So let me share with you. Paul writes a, a, a letter to the church at Corinth. It's his second letter to the church at Corinth. And this is what he writes. <clears throat> he says, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. Okay, here's the becoming part. If anyone is in Christ, we're going to talk about what that two-letter two letter word in means in just a moment. Then he was in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Okay, so I, I, I want us to grasp this here. If anyone is in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. God is saying, I'm going to make new things happen so that you become a new person on the inside. On the inside. So the Bible teaches this. And again, this is something that you and I do not hear, but this is something the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you and I are born physically as creations of God. The Bible does not teach that you and I are born children of God, but creations of God, that we're all created by God. But when we are born spiritually... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
But when we are born spiritually, we become what we were not. And that is a child of God. So the scripture teaches something different that we're used to hearing. Yes, creations of God, but not children of God. The question is, well, how do you become a child of God? How does that, how does that happen? Well, again, as I said, don't believe me. Uh, but look at this, John chapter 1. Let's just look at what the scripture says. He came to his own, yet his own did not receive him. So Jesus comes to the Jews, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to, you see this word right here? Become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And so we see two different births here that the scripture talks about. There's a physical birth. And there's a spiritual birth to all who received him, to those who believed in his name. Last week, remember, I was, I was holding out to you, to whoever was, I was doing this with, I don't remember, holding out a gift to you. That if you received it, this great gift would save your life. And if you received it, if you recognize your need for it and you received it, it would change your life forever. Well, this is what the Bible teaches us. To those who receive Christ... That means they put away their validating performance record worldview and they receive him. If you believe in his name, we become children of God. He said, not, not naturally born children, but born of God. Here's what, here's what Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 6 and 7. Gospel of John, flesh gives birth to flesh. Okay, do you, do you see that? Flesh gives birth to flesh. Burger gives birth to burger. Bourgeois gives birth to bourgeois. Hawkins gives birth to Hawkins. Loria gives birth to Loria. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, Jesus says to a Jewish religious leader, you must be born again. You must be born a second time. You must be born a second time. Time. You see, the Bible teaches that the entire human race was born children of Adam, not children of God. And so, so I've got my little uh, cups here tonight. So what, what the Bible teaches is this, is that every one of us, this, this cup is going to represent Adam. And I'm going to take you more into this in just a moment. The Bible teaches that all of us are born into Adam because Adam. Adam becomes basically the forefather of us all. And so we're born of the lineage of Adam. We're born, if you will, physically alive, but spiritually separated from God. Remember the definition of dead in the scripture is separation. The day you eat of this fruit, you'll surely die. And so the scripture teaches that all of us were born in Adam, separate from God. And so when Jesus says flesh gives birth to flesh, we're all born into a family, a flesh family that's separated from God. So basically our physical umbilical cord gets disconnected from our mother, but there's a spiritual umbilical cord that is still connected to Adam. So spiritually, we are still connected to Adam. And the Bible teaches the entire human race was born children of Adam. And the ramifications, like I said, is death. Now look at here. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. There's a lot here. So 
Hang with me. Paul writes here, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world. Now, who was that one man? Adam. And death through sin, what's death? Separation. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So we each inherited, if you will, Adam's DNA. Now, if you don't go, that's, kind of, that's really weird. That is, why should I be responsible for something he did so long ago? Well, it's the same thing you did today. You wanted to be as God. Just like I wanted to be as God. I made decisions based on what I thought was best for me, whether that was or, was or not. And so the result of that is that I look like my dad, Adam. My activities look like him. So death spread to all men because of all sins. So then, as through one transgression, that's just another word for sin, there resulted condemnation or death to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness. You remember that word righteousness? We talked a lot about that word last week. Okay? Rightness. Okay? Holiness. Perfection. There resulted justification and life to all men. Verse 19 says this. For as through the one man's disobedience, that's Adam, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many who believe will be made righteous. That's a lot. But we're seeing here that there's a, there are two families. There's those who are in Adam and there are those who are in Christ. So that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Born of Adam. That which is born of the spirit is spirit in Christ. Remember, if anyone is in Christ, he becomes a new creation. The old has passed away and all things have become new. Well, let me just give you an example of this. So it, it says in the scripture, Paul writes to the Corinthians, for in Adam, if you're in Adam, all die. All are separated from God. So here's Adam. Okay. And let's just say this is you. Okay. Here's you. Whoever you are, this is you. Now, and this is your mom and dad. And this is your mom and dad's mom and dad. Okay, so if you, take your, if you take your lineage all the way back, who's your progenitor? Who's your dad? Who's your daddy? Adam's your daddy, okay? So, so we inherit our separated spirit, our dead spirit in terms of dead to God from Adam. But the Bible says this, Christ comes. He dies on the cross. He pays the penalty for our wanting to be the captain of our faith, the master of our soul. We want wanting to depend upon our own uh, validating performance record. And he dies on a cross to pay for all of our rebellion. He comes as a man to pay for the rebellion of man. So in Christ, the many shall be made alive. In Adam, all die. In Christ... Those who receive the gift are made alive. And so we see here that we get taken out of Adam and placed into Christ. And death no longer has its way on us. And so when we look at this scripture here, again, therefore, if anyone is no longer in Adam, 
but is in Christ. He becomes, she becomes a brand new creation on the inside. The old is gone. Everything becomes new because you are given to and placed into Christ. That doesn't mean you never sin again. That doesn't mean you ever don't ever do something selfish again. But it means you have been placed into Christ. And when God looks at you, he sees Christ's validating performance record commending you to him. Not your validating performance record commending you to him. Now, if that's true, you will not hear better news ever your entire life. Because the dash is just for a dash of time. It's just a dash. The line lasts forever. And being in Christ allows us love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, goodness, kindness on, in the dash and forever with him. So if anyone is in Christ, he, she becomes brand new on the inside and is justified by the work of our advocate, Jesus Christ. It is phenomenally true and it is great great news if any man woman is in christ the issue is not primary now again i know this is going to cut across a lot of grain here but the issue is not primarily our enumerated offenses against god the issue is primarily what's inside of us who we belong to the issue is you know what i could be the best man on the planet if I'm an Adam, wrong family. See, now think about this for a minute. Jesus was born, the Bible says that Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. Was that just some act? Hey, let's make this a little bit more difficult to believe. Let's be born of the Holy Spirit. Let's do that. No, because if Jesus is born of Joseph, guess whose lineage he is of? He's of Adam's lineage. And is he qualified to be the savior of the world? The sinless savior of the world? If he lives his entire life sinlessly, he still did not qualify because he was born in sin. So, this is, this is great news. Okay, so, you, you don't want to be... You want to be in Christ. You, don't, you just don't want to be in Adam's family. That just would not be... Okay, that's just... Just to break the tension here just for a little bit. Uh, do I need a laugh track for that, or do you think that's... It's, give me a, okay, thank you. Okay, all right. Thank you, thank you Mike. Good, that's good. So, so, the, so the question... <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. Okay. So the question is here, what if God... Okay, hear this. This is all true. What if God wants us sure? What if God said to you, I want you to know for sure? Now, wouldn't that be great news? Of course, it'd be great news. But does the Bible teach that? I've never been taught that. I've gone to church my whole life. I've never believed that I could really know if I believed in God. We're going to talk a little bit more about what it means to believe in God in just a couple minutes. But what, what does that really mean? Can I know for sure? Does the Bible say that? Because you told me not to believe you to believe the Bible. Or at least look and see what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? That's a, that's a good question. Here's John's letter to the churches. So John has written this to people that are in Christ. They're no longer in Adam. They're in Christ. That's what he's doing. 
What if God wants us for sure? Well, here's the scripture. And this is the testimony. This is the story. This is the way it is. That God gave us. Do you see the past tense there? Didn't say he's giving us. He gave us eternal life. He who has the son has the life. Okay, let's just say this is your life. You're in the son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God, he's in Adam, does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God, who've received the gift so that you may hope that you have eternal life. Um, Pray that you have eternal life. Keep your fingers crossed that you have eternal life. Ah. Do you know what that word is? I know some of you do. Know that you have eternal life. Does that sound like there's any uncertainty with that? It's from God's perspective. You have the son, you have the life. You don't have the son of God, you don't have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now look, I know this is troubling. But this is what biblical Christianity teaches. If Christ is raised from the dead which history seems to support that he is, then there is some incredible news for all of us to grab hold of. You can know you have eternal life. You can absolutely know that you have eternal life. Mm. Well, the word of God tells us, if if you're still following somehow, the word of God tells us on page Um, 25, the word of God tells us God is the initiator. He pursues us first. Let's just, again, look at some more scripture that says this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still in Adam, while we were still sinners, while we were still in the wrong family, Christ died for us. Therefore, we have now been justified, placed into Christ by his payment, by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him because we're now in him. We're no longer in Adam. We are in him from the wrath of God. Why? Because Jesus took all of God's wrath that you and I were deserving and paid for it all. He paid for the fullness of everything you and I have done selfishly. Past, present, we're going to talk more about about this later, and future as well. The things you and I haven't even done yet. I mean, how old were you when Christ died on the cross? And how many of of your sins did he pay for? All of them. And if what the scripture says is true, he's not going to get hoisted back up on that cross to cover the rest of them. He's not going to do that. Here's what the prophet Ezekiel, some almost 600 years before Christ, he says, and, and look, at the, look at the I wills, if you will, in here. I myself, I myself, this is God speaking through Ezekiel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down. In other words, no more working your tail off to try to get God's acceptance. Or no more working your tail off running from him or thinking that you're too far from God because of all the horrible things that you have done. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will 
seek the lost. That would be me. I will seek those who are in Adam. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. I mean, who is God speaking here to? He's speaking to the lost, the strayed, the injured, the weak, the me's and the you's. All of us. He's come, according to the Bible, do you see the initiative there? He has come looking for you and me. He's come looking for you and me. There's no greater news if this is true. Then in the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, 28th verse, look at this. And I give them, do you see that? I give them eternal life. I give eternal life to them. And they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Who's got the grip? Who's got to hold on? You? Fat chance. I give eternal life to them. They shall never perish. Why? Because I've taken them out of Adam and I've placed them into Christ. And guess what? Christ is never going to perish. Yes, we will die physically. But we will forever be with him. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Do you see the intention? Do you see the initiation? Do you see the care? We have security because we are birthed into and joined to and held onto by Christ. Not by our own efforts, by his effort. Now we've been talking about this word faith and belief for a while. And you may see that in the book if you're still looking at that. Faith equals taking God's promises and daring to believe them. See, a response is necessary. See, these things are true, but I have to respond to the shepherd's voice. I am called to hear and to heed the shepherd's voice. As I said, a response is necessary. On June 30th, 1950, pardon me, 1859, a guy by the name of Charles Blondin, he was 31 years old, took a, took a, uh, a tightrope and, and stretched it from one side of the rapids of Niagara Falls to the other. A great crowd had gathered around, and he had done some amazing feats on the, on the tightrope. He had cooked an egg on the tightrope. I, I don't know how he'd... I can't cook a, an egg standing up on a floor... But he, he did all these things, amazing things. And he came to the crowd afterwards and he said, I can take a man, put him in a wheelbarrow and take him from one side of the rapids to the other. And so the crowd's all around, gathered around. And suddenly, when he says, I can take a person, put him in a wheelbarrow and take him from one side to the other. He says to the crowd, do you believe me? And he looks at Danielle and says, Danielle, do you believe I can take a woman, put her in a wheelbarrow, take her from one side to the other? Do you believe me? You don't. Okay, well, that's a great answer. Well, look, let me do this. Let me take, let me take someone. I'll, I'll put about a, 110 pounds worth of bricks into a, a, a wheelbarrow and I'll take it from one side of the falls to the next. Danielle, do you believe I can take a person and put them in a wheelbarrow, take them from one side to the other? Now that, now that I showed you I could do it. You're still not going, are you? But let's say she said, yes, I do. The next question is, then why don't you get in? 
See, belief is going from the ephemeral, the, the, you know, the just thinking about it, to actually believing it and doing it. Remember the scripture, to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you believe Christ can take you from one side to the other, then what are you going to do with that? Mental ascent? Or take everything? See, if you get in that wheelbarrow, you're, you're putting 100% of your being into his ability that he says to take you from one side to the other. And so when he dies and he's resurrected and he says, I'll take you back with me. You want to go? To say yes or no is determinant whether or not I remain in Adam or if I'm placed in Christ. The Bible makes a very interesting statement in, in James' letter to the churches. He says, even the demons believe and they tremble. So mental ascent, going into a church building, you know, you've all heard it said going to a church no more makes you a Christian than going into a McDonald's makes you a hamburger. You've all heard that, I'm sure. Um, but it's still, it's still true, just that mental ascent is interesting, but mental ascent is not what we're looking for here. Jesus says, I want all of, I've given you all of me and I am looking for all of you. So tonight, maybe you're here, like, you know, I, Danielle's not here this way, but maybe you're going, well, I don't know. I'm curious. I'm not ready for this wheelbarrow thing, but I'm curious. I'm here curious. I don't know whether I believe any of this or not, but the food's decent and, uh, and I don't know. This is all brand new to me. I'm curious. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're, you're convinced. You grew up in the church. You say your prayers. You, you go to events, church stuff and all that stuff. But you don't know that you're not still in Adam. You're still hanging on to Jesus plus your validating performance record. You're still trying to earn your way in. Or maybe you're here tonight committed. And committed doesn't mean you're committed to be a better person. Committed means you have committed yourself to Christ's commitment to get you to the other side, safe and sound. See, that, that word could be also stated as surrendered. Say, you're curious, I don't know, but I'm here and I'm enjoying this. Convinced, I've gone to church my whole life, but I don't know that I haven't been on the world religion side of the graph. I'm still attempting in myself to be good enough. Or maybe you come to that place of surrender. I can't do this. I want to commit myself. I want to get into the wheelbarrow and commit 100% of myself to you by faith. It's still by faith. It's still by faith. The question is, is it reasonable faith? Is it rational faith? And how do I get to that place into Christ? Can I know for sure? Well, let me just take you real quickly to, um, to a wedding ceremony. Uh, I'll take you to Annette's in my wedding ceremony. Um, no pictures, please. But um, see, I can believe all the right things about, I could believe all the right things about Annette and never said, I do. 
So we stand up there with the minister, and the minister says, Frank, do you take Annette to be your wife? And I say, she's gorgeous. I mean, I'd be an idiot, you know. She's, I mean, this is fantastic, you know. Well, that's nice, Frank. We all agree that Annette is attractive. Um, but do you take her as your wife? And I say, well, she's a great cook. You know, I, I, I know I'll never go hungry. I mean, this is really wonderful. He says, yeah, Frank, we, we get that, okay? Um, she's a great cook. Uh, but Frank, do you take Annette to be your wife? Um, well, Reverend, um, her dad's rich, and the day he kicks, I, I think we're going to be in pretty good shape. Um, okay. See, I can believe all the right things about her. You can believe all the right things about Jesus and never say two simple words, I do. Until you and I say, I do, we're saying either passively or actively, I don't. I'm not, I'm not saying that it makes you feel bad. Just think about that. I said, I do, and we were. And at that moment, we were 100% married. I had a whole lot more experiences being, of being unmarried. But at that moment, I was not going to be any more married, any less married than I am today, 42 years later. It's 42, right? Totally married at that moment. See, think about this. Ask yourself about this. Have I said I do? Have, have I committed myself, surrendered myself to him? Or am I still trying to do it alone, playing religious games with myself and God on my terms? You know, the fascinating thing, if you and I could just go back right now 2,000 years to a bloody cross... You and I cannot imagine what that moment was like. Jesus, the Bible says, and was beaten beyond recognition. Um, and if you look real close, just be there. And he looks up at you. And you hear him say this to you. Two words. I do. See, 2,000 years ago, he said, I do. Before you and I ever were, he said, I do. Hear that I do running through the canyons of history and time to right here tonight. He's already said it. What am I going to say? Well, I say, I surrender all I am to you because you surrendered all you are to me. Um, so we see here, God is the initiator. Secondly, it's the work of Jesus. We've talked about this. We can't earn it. We must receive it or else it's not a gift. If I have to work for something, it's not a gift. If I have to earn something, it's not a gift. A gift, and the scripture tells me I don't have it in me to earn myself. 
But God loved me so much. If I would be willing to submit myself to the truth, I don't have it in me. Not what I need. Jesus says, I've got life for you. He died and he, he loves us and he died to prove it. Two more scriptures and I'll, I'll be done. Here's what the Apostle Paul says to, to hammer home this truth. For it is by grace, remember, unmerited favor, getting something you don't deserve. You have been saved, taken out of Adam, placed into Christ. And that's through faith. Will you get in? Will you say, I do? Will you see the gift? And that is not from yourselves. <laughs> I don't think he could be more clear. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, not as a result of your validating, my validating performance record, so that no one can boast. Nobody can say, I may not be perfect, but better than you. Yeah, but are you better than Jesus? That's the question. I knew it wasn't. It's by grace. It's a gift. It's by faith. It's not by works. So that I can boast in him who has given me more than I ever could have deserved myself. And then Paul writes to the Corinthians this again. God made him, Christ, who knew no sin, who was perfect, to become sin, to take on sin for us so that in Christ I would become the righteousness of God. That when God sees me in Christ, he sees the righteous Christ who has taken all of my rebellion and shame upon himself. Again, remember last week, Christ died, the, the, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. God, we got unplugged. We got taken out of Adam, unplugged from death, and we got plugged into life. We got plugged into Christ. So that if we are in Christ, we are new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. And so we see it. God's the initiator. God does the work. And we then have a witness. We get in that wheelbarrow. If we say, I do, we receive the gift. There is a witness of God's spirit that something takes place inside of us. Okay? And these are just a few things I'll tell you and then I'm done. When you say, yes, I'll get in. Yes, I surrender. Yes, I receive the gift. Yes, I say I do. You can, this is what's going to happen. You're going to have a new and different love for God and for others. You're going to notice you're going to be different. There's going to be a change of attitude or motivation. You're going to find that you desire to do the right thing because you are accepted. No longer because you want to be accepted. Do you see the change in the motivation? Here's fear motivation. Religion will give you fear motivation. Do it or else. In Christ, it's do it because you are. You have been accepted. You are accepted. God heaped upon us, lavished upon us. We could have never lavished upon ourselves. Love motivation. I do this because I, I am overwhelmed by your love. Religion, I want to make sure my validating performance record is good enough. Totally change in motivation. Three, you feel like a weight's been lifted off your soul. 
Can I tell you? A weight will be lifted off your soul. All your sin, all your rebellion. And you get Christ in return. You won't be more religious, you'll be less religious. (laughs) As strange as that sounds. Because you'll be more into Jesus. You'll be more into the Christ of Christianity, not the culture of Christianity. The person of Christ who died for us. And then I know there are more, but this is just the other one, that one last thing. Certain things you just had to do aren't of interest anymore. Certain things, certain habits you just had to do. Just not there anymore. Now, those are some of the things that God does. God does because he was the initiator. And so tonight as we close... I just want to encourage you, you know, uh, right now, or when you leave here tonight, or when you're staring at the ceiling tonight trying to go to sleep, you shouldn't have had those red beans. Um, <laughs> um, ask him, Lord, if you said I do that many years ago to me, and here I am, whatever your age may be, I realize I've never said I do. I've gone to church, but I've never said I do. I've never surrendered. I want to surrender right now. And just tell him, I do. And the moment you do that, the Bible says you'll be taken out of Adam. You'll be placed into Christ. And no one will ever snatch you out of his hand. Because he's just that faithful. So, okay. Next week. We'll be in session six. How and why should I read the Bible? We're going to start looking more at the Bible. Maybe you guys are getting a little interest in how to read the Bible. Well, next week, that's what we will talk about. I am so grateful that you have come here. Tonight, we've talked about some really difficult things. So I hope there's some good, I trust there'll be some good conversation at your table tonight. So thank you. We've got some coffee over here for those of you who are here. And we hope to see you here next week. Thank you for being here.